Right, good morning, good morning, good morning. Um, I just want to say as well about this word that came about, uh, water, the water of life. The thing about water is you have to drink it. You have to actually take it to your lips and swallow it. So if you are here and uh, you're just investigating faith, and you're just thinking, yeah, is this for me? I, I just want to say to you, Jesus is offering you the water of life. You know, when he did this, uh, uh, he was at a well, and he was speaking to a woman whose lifestyle uh, was far from godly. Should we just put it like that? Far from godly. And Jesus knew what was in her, yet he still said to her, I'm offering you the water of life. You can have it. I know who you are, and I'm still offering you. So if in your heart you're thinking, I'm just not worthy, yeah, do you know what? You're right, you're not. None of us are. But Jesus still offers you the water of life. And he says, come and drink. Come and drink. So you have to respond. You have to be the one who says, yeah, I will pick this water of life up and swallow it. I will say, yes, Lord. Please come in. I want to engage with you. So if that's you, love to talk to you afterwards. Got a little book for you here as well. That would be great. Okay. So this morning, what are we going to do? We are going to look... <clears throat> at a really well-known passage of Scripture uh, from Luke 8. Does anyone know, just off the top of our heads, what Luke 8 is all about? It's a tester, isn't it? Oh, go on then. Storm? Yeah, I suppose later on it is. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of demon guys, actually, in, in Luke, aren't they? Yeah. It, parable of the sower. But that's cheating. You're looking. You've actually... <laughs> No, I suppose I didn't say you couldn't, <laughs> you couldn't do that. Fair enough, okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. okay. Okay, no, it's not an exam, you're right. No, fair enough. All right, okay. It was just a point, okay. <laughs> okay, so let's read it together. Let's read this parable of the sower together. <clears throat> so soon afterwards, he, that's Jesus, went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others, who provided for them out of their means. And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he, see, as he sowed, some, some fell uh, along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell onto rock, and as it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. 
They believe for a while, and then in times of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Let's pray together. Father, I ask you that you would come. And uh, Holy Spirit, I ask that you'd bring revelation, please, to the hearts of these people about this word. Father, I'm asking that your children will benefit and will eat well this morning, as it were, as we go through uh, this passage. Father, we, I ask you to do the speaking this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay. <clears throat> well, look, as I say, this is a really well-known parable. How many people have heard preaching on this parable? Yeah, pretty much, pretty much all of you. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm aware of that. Uh, I have to say that as I was reading uh, this passage uh, again over the last few weeks, uh, this is what struck me. I, I just wondered why Jesus chose to tell this particular parable, this particular story at this particular time. It really hit me. Why is he doing this? Why is he doing this right now? Because if you look at the context, if we go back, Jesus is uh, going through the cities, the large places, and the villages. By the way, we're up north at this time. We're, we're going through the region of uh, Galilee. So he's going to the large places and the small places of Galilee. And he's proclaiming the, and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And uh, we can see who's with him. He's got his 12 12 disciples, and on the other side, there's a large group of women who are with him who are basically funding the whole thing. And uh, so it's quite a sort of entourage, and it's like a missions trip, if you imagine. A whole group of people have gathered together, uh, and Jesus is, is speaking at the large places and the small places. In other words, he's doing the job of an evangelist teacher. Do you see what I mean? That's what he's doing. So this is what confused me. We get to verse 4. And it says, a great crowd was gathering. Now, by definition, therefore, this crowd is larger than the other crowds because it's a great crowd. So he's had small crowds. I imagine at the villages there were very small crowds. But suddenly, he's got a large, a super large crowd in front of him. Now, if you're an evangelist, you rub your hands at that, don't you? Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Yes, <laughs> Let me, let me give you a nudge. Yes, you do. You say, oh, look at this. I have got a large crowd. Now I can preach the gospel and I can see a great response. You look so unconvinced. It's unbelievable. Anyway, <clears throat> I'm convinced about this. Um, and, and you are excited about it. And you would think that Jesus would, would think like that. You would think he would think, right, this is a John 3.16 moment. For God so loved the world, this is what you expect him to say, for God so loved the world that he's about to give his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And then a bit of a Billy Graham moment, come to the front, come down off your seats, off that rock, and come down to the front and, re and receive and believe, turn, uh, receive this new life. That's what, and I'm looking at this thinking, yeah, that's what you should be doing. And... Uh, uh, and uh, so, does he do that? No, he doesn't do that. So I am perplexed of Sevenoaks at this point, because I'm reading this thinking, 
Well, hang on. Hang, hang, hang on. The New Testament says make the most of every opportunity. And in my opinion, this is a great evangelistic opportunity. So Jesus, why aren't you taking it? So I'm, I'm you know, reading my Bible, getting all a bit, I don't understand this. So what does Jesus choose to do? Well, at this time, he says, oh no, what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell an agricultural yarn. Marvelous little story about a seed and about agricultural responses. And you think, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah, no. And, and, and I'm going to tell this story that not even his closest disciples understood. So I'm thinking, right. Right, well, Lord, surely we need to have a conversation about your communication style here because, because you know, surely when you speak to a crowd, what you try and do is make it as clear and as simple and as easy to understand as possible. Don't you? And, uh, and you grab this opportunity for evangelism. So you can see I've, I've had a few moments with God as I've been reading this Bible, uh, this scripture. I'm saying... You know, it says the Bible is the only book you can talk to the author. I have been talking to the author about what I've been reading. I'll just say one thing. When you study the life of Jesus and the teaching of Jesus, you notice this. Jesus is very happy not to explain everything straight away. Have you noticed that about him? There's a time when... He's got his, his 12, and there's a whole group of other disciples around him. And he says this. Hey, you need to drink my blood and eat my flesh. <laughs> and, and, his, and there's shock and horror. I mean, this is against the law, apart from it being revolting. And they all just say, What? And it says they were so horrified, they all got up and left him, apart from the twelve. And even there, he had to say, are you about to leave me as well? Jesus did not jump to his feet and say, no, well, I didn't mean that literally, which of course we know he didn't. But he's quite happy to throw in something like that. Another time, the twelve are with him, large crowd. He turns to them and says, you feed them. Uh, 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 well, hang on a minute, hang on a, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. I can't afford that. I can't, what are you telling me? I can't feed them. And Jesus says, yeah, you feed them. He doesn't give them all the information. And then, of course, we come on to the parables. Listening to some preaching by Terry Virgo and, uh, this week. And he said, um, one, roughly one-third of everything Jesus taught came in parable format. A third of everything that Jesus spoke was in a parable format. In other words, it needed interpretation and further understanding in order to understand it. I.e., it was not immediately obvious. Jesus was really into this. No other teacher in the New Testament does this, only Jesus. I mean, I'm just thinking... How does this work? The only mad illustration that came to my mind is it's a bit like if you're English and you listen to two natural-born Glaswegians speaking. And particularly after a pint of beer. All right, Paul, eh? How are you? How are you well? Is that good enough, Paul? Not bad. Not bad. Okay, thank you. 
Eh? No need for what? What do you mean by that? I see you're going to see me. You can see me now if you want. Yeah. Anyway, that. That it's like it's like you probably get about one word in six if you're listening to these guys. And it's like they're talking a different language. And sometimes with Jesus, it's a bit like that. He doesn't give you everything straight away. Let me ask you a question. Do you feel that God has spoken to you recently? And do you think, I don't understand this? Who's ever had a word from God, like a dream or a passage from the Bible that you've read and you've thought, I don't, I don't understand. Who's a, yeah. I don't understand. Uh, I know some of you get prophetic dreams. I really want to encourage you in those. I know not everybody gets those. Um, and you know that there's something in them. God is speaking to you through the dreams. I just want to say, I know they're very weird. Very often dreams are really, really weird. And you do need to interpret those. But just be encouraged. It's the way that God speaks sometimes. He doesn't give us all the information. I guess the question, though, is what do we do with that? God gives you something you don't fully understand. What do you do with it? So this is what some of us do. So we're reading through Scripture. Did it? Whoa, that's weird. Well, I don't. Do you know what? I'll turn the page. There we are. I'll start there. Oh, this is better. Right, yes. That tends to be what we do when we don't understand What's going on? I want to suggest to you, when you don't understand something, I got this from Terry, I'm so grateful he was speaking on this passage. <laughs> um, he said, when you don't understand something, often it's an invitation from God to you to come near. It's an invitation from God to say, come and find out what I mean. So when, when Jesus spoke to the disciples and said, you feed them, what he was saying to them was, I want you to get involved in the supernatural provision, to understand how God does this stuff. I want you in on it. I have to say, I, I've said to you before, often when I read the Bible, then there's something I don't understand, and I say to God, God, I don't like this passage I was, I've been reading in Luke 8. When there's something I don't understand and I pursue him and I'm talking to the author, very often those passages have more illumination to me in the end than anything else. And I am absolutely in thinking, oh, wow, look at this. Much more effective way of communication than me just reading it. Yeah, yeah, I read that. I understand that. Thank you. Bye. It's not understanding. It's a great way. However, what we see from this scripture... When Jesus uh, uh, begins to explain what's going on here, he effectively says there are some entry criteria for us to understand God's revelation to us. This is what he's saying. So he, he says, uh, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, basically, so they won't understand. That's quite a bit of a revelation, isn't it? Some people, God is saying, I don't want to understand my word. Other people, I do. <laughs> now, that's interesting, isn't it? Because I think most of us would say, well, of course God wants 
us to understand everything instantly, everyone. Wouldn't you have thought that? But that's not what this is saying. He's saying, no, to some people, that the revelation of the Word of God will be shut. Now, question. What are the entry criteria so that you and I can be on the inside so we get the secrets of the kingdom of God? That's the question we want to ask here. Well, I think we see this modeled by the disciples. What did the disciples do about this parable? What did they do? They went to him and they said, We don't understand. We don't understand what you're talking about. And basically, and they said, Look, can you explain? Now, what, are, what qualities are the disciples modeling when they say that, apart from a silly voice? What, what are they modeling? Humility. So what they've just done is saying, they've gone to Jesus and they've said, Jesus, we know you know, but we don't understand. Please, will you teach us? So humility is what they see, is what they're demonstrating. What's the other characteristic do you think they're demonstrating there? Hunger. They're hungry. They want to know. See, that's the danger when we do this. Yeah, that, oh, I don't understand. Oh, well, never mind. What we're saying is, I don't want to know. But what we see here, modeled by the disciples, is a humility and a hunger. And that's when you pursue God with those characteristics. That's when the Bible tells us we press in and we find out. So which category do you want to be in? Do you want to hear? Or do you, do you want to not? I, I think we just need to study this word and say, okay, uh, which one do I want to be? Okay, let's come back to then to the parable. Now, uh, that's a picture of a crowd, not because I don't think you, know, you don't know what crowds are. Uh, I, just th- I thought it would help to get us into the sort of atmosphere, okay? So this is where Jesus, this is the great crowd. Jesus is looking out onto a great crowd. Here's a picture of a great crowd. Now, why is Jesus telling this parable right now rather than giving a clear evangelistic message? Well, I've had to completely rethink what I think is going on here as I've prayed. I think it's clear from the parable that, the, that Jesus is the sower. Jesus is the sower, and he's throwing out the seed, the word of God. And in the parable, he's already done that, hasn't he? He's already thrown out the word of God. And so when Jesus looks in front of this crowd, he doesn't see a group of people that haven't already received the word of God. He sees a group of people, that's why they're turning up, because they know him. Oh, we've heard of you. He's already been going through the towns and the villages. They may well have already heard him speak personally. And actually the other people coming will have heard the people who were there. And they would have gone back and said, we heard this amazing teacher called Jesus. You've got to come and hear him. He's incredible. And this is what he said about the kingdom of God. So they would have heard secondhand. So suddenly now there is this great crowd of of people who have already heard the word of God once. So Jesus is not thinking, oh, these people need to be evangelized. He's not seeing it that way, I don't believe. I think what he's seeing is a different question needs to be asked. This group of people who have already had the seed, the word of God thrown out among them. 
And this is the question he's really asking with his parable. What are you going to do with the word now you have it? See, the seed has been thrown out. It has now landed in you. How will you respond? Jesus is trying to help them to respond well. That's what he's trying to do. But he's pointing out, you know, it's possible for you not to respond well when the word of God comes to you. How will you respond? Interestingly, just after this passage, there's, uh, Jesus goes on to say this. Take care then how you hear. For those who have will be given more, and those who don't have, even what they think they have, will be taken away from them. How you and I hear and respond to the word of God is really important. It's really important. Okay, let's get on to having a look at this parable. We'll come back to that in a bit. I think there are different ways that you can uh, see this parable. The first perspective is from the perspective of the sower. And I think it's quite important to see this parable in this way. Imagine that you are now the sower, right? So you are the evangelist. You are the Christian, and you share the word of God with people. <clears throat> You've got a big bag of seed here, just like that. And you can go like this. You can have a go if you like. You can have got a big bag of seed, and you can throw it out. And that's what you do when you share the gospel with your friends. Or you share. Uh, um, I just wanted to encourage you to do that. If you get healed, do, do talk about it to your friends. I was just thinking, if you say, yeah, I, I had a bad leg. I mean, provided this is true, of course. I had a bad leg, <laughs> and I got healed. I was having some real pain, and now the pain has gone. The pain's completely gone. Did you know? That's amazing. Do you know what you've communicated when you say that to a friend? You've com communicated God is real. You've communicated God is powerful. God wants to be involved in your life, and he cares for you. In that one story, that's, those are the subtexts that you've just communicated. So I just thought, yeah, do, I do encourage you. If, if the opportunity arises, share what God is doing in your life. Anyway, so, um, so uh, what this parable then tells you as the evangelist is, when you throw out the seed, there are four different responses that you can expect to get. That are normal. And uh, that's really important because if you are not aware of the responses that you might get when you share the gospel, it could be very disheartening. Who's ever been disheartened when they shared the gospel with somebody? You know, I'm going to put two hands up. Yeah. Yeah, it's really important. Uh, I can remember in the time before Ian Lettington, that's B I L, before Ian Lettington. Um, I used to run the Alpha course, nowhere near on that, don't tell him, but nowhere near as well as he's running it. Um, uh, and we would, on the whole, we would struggle. I mean, Sue, you were involved, and Anne, you were involved too. We would struggle. We'd probably get about two or three guests, something like that, normally. And we would fight really hard for those guests, would we? You know, please, you know, kind of come. And then we'd think, we've got an actual non-Christian on the course. Yes, thank you, Jesus. Right, this is marvellous. And I can remember one lady came, an actual non-Christian came, and uh, we, uh, about halfway through the course, she said, yeah, I, I want to do this. And she prayed the prayer. 
And we sat with her and explained clearly what it was. And I thought, no, this is clear. You know you're asking God to forgive you for your sin. Yes, yes, I understand that. You know you're asking him in as Lord. Yes, I understand that. I thought, oh, this is good. Following day, she's you know, very happy about it. We're all delighted, obviously, on the other course. Following day, on Facebook, she writes, this is the first day of the rest of my life. Oh, I'm thinking, this is just magnificent. Magnificent. Course finishes, months later, we never see her again. And we think, what have we done wrong? What have we done wrong? Have we offended her? We tried to contact her, and very little uh, response coming back. Eventually, I think, is it you, Sue, had a word? I don't want to mention the name of the person. So, okay. Um, I, 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 we have a word with her. Turns out her husband really objected to her becoming a Christian. A little bit of opposition comes. She shoots up. Opposition comes. She's down. That really hurt. When you struggled to get people there, you fought for the course, you prayed for it. Somebody responds, you think we're in, and then they go. So when you see from the perspective from the position of the sower, expect these different responses. And actually understanding this word, it didn't take the pain away, but it did help a bit to understand people respond differently. <clears throat> and you haven't done anything wrong, I suppose, is, is what you could uh, uh, think. Okay, so that's the first perspective. The second perspective is from the perspective of the soils. And I think this is how Jesus is using it in Luke uh, chapter 8. And this is designed to help us see personally how we are responding to the gospel. It forces you and me to ask this question, which category am I in? I'm, am I choked, bottom left there, by the weeds? Uh, uh, am I on the path, actually? Do I just, am I hard? Do I constantly reject the word of God. Uh, am I amongst the, the, the rocks up here? Do I sh am I, am I a, somebody who shoots up? I'm hot. Whoa, yes. And then I'm not. No, I've gone. Get people like that, actually, in church life. They come and they, <laughs> they say things like, I've just read this new book. <laughs> I dread those words. I've just read this new book. It's incredible. We should be doing this. We forget all that other stuff, that worship stuff. We just do this. And I say, oh, really? Okay. Months later, oh, no, I don't do that anymore. Think, oh, okay, right. Hot, and then not. Is that, is that you? Are you like that? Maybe a, a good way of recognizing who you are and the way you respond is to ask this question. Are you frustrated by the lack of fruit for God in your life? Do you look at yourself and think, I don't know, I just should be producing more by now. I, think, I just think I ought to have more. Well, this parable helps you, gives you some hints as to why that lack of fruitfulness might be occurring. It could be that actually you're absolutely uh, covered by cares, riches, and pleasures. You know, I think in a place like Seven Oaks, this is probably the most, one of the most common categories. Are we covered in cares, riches, in pleasures? Are you someone who is preoccupied with those things? What are you going to do about it? Let me ask you another question. 
When you daydream, what do you dream about? I often think about my next meal, <laughs> which is a real indicator, isn't it? Do you dream about the next holiday? Wish I was on holiday. Yeah. Ooh, it's grey outside. Wish I was in Mauritius. That's Mauritius like that. Is that where you go? Where do you go? Because you see, that's telling you where you want to be. It's telling you something about what's going on in here. Uh, uh, let me ask you this. How do you deal with worry? How do you deal with worry? Uh, I was challenged over this uh, a few months ago, actually, by a, a fellow leader. And I said, yeah, what I tend to do is I talk to myself a lot. He said, oh, really? Tell me about that. I said, yeah, I talk out loud a lot to myself in the shower. In fact, my boys come in and say, Dad, we could hear you talking. I thought, wow, that was quite loud then. I <clears throat> and uh, he challenged me. and He said, why do you do that? I said, well, I don't know. I've always done it. My mum did it. Uh, just a sort of habit, really. I just talk out loud. I just, I'm, I'm sort of talking my way through issues, really. And I think, well, if they said that, I could say this and they could say that. He said, hmm. He said, do you think that's worrying? I went, yeah, I think it might be, actually. Anyway, what's for, what's for the next meal? <laughs> do you worry? Do you worry? And what does worry look like in your life? Is it, is it, are you preoccupied? See, worry will choke you and stop you being fruitful. Uh, we, we need to talk about money as well. It's really an important thing, particularly in a, an area like this. It's, in Seven Oaks, it is, let's just put it on the table, it, it is a high priority thing. It's really important to a lot of people, money. And actually the Bible gives it the name of a false god, calls it mammon. Gives it the name of a false god. It says that's what it's called, mammon. And uh, it, it's really telling because, um, uh, see, what a false god will do is say, if you have me, you're okay. I will look after you. I will provide for you. I uh, will protect you if you've got money. I will heal you if you've got money because you can go private. I will educate you. And money is known as deceitful. Jesus warned us and he said, riches are deceitful. Now, it's, money itself isn't a problem, okay? You can have money. <laughs> you can have money. But I think just, we just need to watch it. What position does it hold in your heart? Is it your go-to answer? Money will get me out of my problem. Because actually, the day will come when money will not get you out. Only Jesus will get you out. Lastly, you can see it from this position. See this parable from the perspective of the Word of God. Every time the Word of God comes to you in whatever form, you can react in these four different ways. Every time you hear preaching from the Bible... Every time you open the word of God and you read it. Every time God speaks to you prophetically. Every time God communicates his word to you, you have a choice and you can respond one of four ways. And you could say, nah. If you've grown up in church life as a kid, you've become an expert at saying, nah. Because, you, you, you know, church kids can develop a hardness, actually, to preaching. 
it's amazing. When you throw out seed, some, you know, you go like that from your big bag of seed. Some of it lands in the field. Some of it lands on the path. You can have two people sitting in church next to each other. One person says, oh, God has so spoken to me this morning. The person next door says, I was rather bored. I was thinking about my holiday. Some are hard. How are you going to respond? <clears throat> you see, the objective of this parable is fruitfulness. Have you noticed that? Twice the reference to fruitfulness. Jesus wants you to be fruitful. I know the purpose of God for your life. God has a specific purpose for your life. And it's this. He wants you to be fruitful for him. That's what he wants. And when you are fruitful, God is so interested in fruitfulness that he prunes you, John 15. He prunes you so that you are more fruitful. God's that interested in you being fruitful. And you see, this stuff gets in the way of you being fruitful. Gets in the way. <clears throat> so, let me ask you a couple of questions. How do you receive preaching? Does it, is it a seed that lies on that hardened path, does not penetrate into the ground? Do you respond in the moment? Yes! Fantastic word! Until next week, and then I'm bored. <clears throat> How do you respond to preach? How do you, let me do, <laughs> How do you respond to challenges? One of my sons, who will remain, remain nameless, went to, a, <laughs> went to a Christian meeting, and he said, uh, <clears throat> he was asked how it was, and, he's, and uh, somebody said, it was challenging, wasn't it? And he went, yeah, yeah, it was. I'm going to have to do something about it now. <laughs> In other words, I don't like challenge, thank you very much. I don't want to be challenged. I don't want this thing to go into my heart. <laughs> if you're listening to this on tape, you know who that is. See, so a hard-hearted response means this. You just won't bother. The, the preaching will come, the word will come, and you'll just say, oh. Lastly, just to say this very last word. Let's go back to this. These, this last verse. As for that, in a good soil, they, those, uh, uh, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, bearing fruit with patience. <clears throat> You need an honest and a good heart. You need, actually, sometimes to face the reality of who you are and not indulge in self-deception and pretense. Some of us would say, it is not acceptable that I have a, a rocky response to God. So I'm going to say, I don't. And we slip immediately into this thing the Bible calls deception. Actually, very often it seems to me the Christian journey is about facing who you are so that you can say, God, this is who I am. Please, will you change me? If you can't face who you are, it's unlikely you're going to change. <clears throat> With an honest heart, we have to honestly face up sometimes to who we are and what's going on inside. And then very lastly, it says here, bear fruit with patience. Patience. Sometimes you just need to graft at it. John Wimber is the best example I can give of this. As you know, John Wimber was a guy uh, around many years ago. He prayed for two years for the sick 
before he saw anybody healed. And he felt an idiot. He worked out a little patter, what to say to people as to why they weren't healed. I pray for you to be healed. The reason you don't get healed, he said, was because... And then eventually, suddenly, the door opened and people started getting healed left, right, and center. Bum, 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 bum. You have to be patient. You have to read the word and stick with it. Not hot and then not. You go with it. Amen? So what kind of ground then has the word of God landed? Uh, 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 what kind of ground has the word of God landed in in your life? Let's choose today for it to be the good soil, yeah? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word to us. I thank you for the challenge that it brings. Now I pray, Holy Spirit, let there be fruit from today. I pray that people will become more fruitful for Jesus as a result of what they've heard today. I ask you it would penetrate the heart. I ask you for those who are hot and then not. I ask you, Father, that you would enable them to grow deeper roots into their hearts, Lord Jesus, to, to follow you more consistently. Father, I pray... Uh, Bless your people today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.